Hello, this is Mark Tallman. Welcome to another edition of Ask KASB. Today we're going to be talking about some newly released funding and financial information from our Kansas school districts, what it means for schools, and what it means to the people of Kansas. And helping me do this today is Dr. Doug Meckel, our Deputy Executive Director at KASB. And unlike myself, who spends a lot of time uh, at the State House and working with legislators, Doug spends his time working with local boards and school leaders as they try to do their job of helping education in Kansas. So today we're going to focus on three things. We're going to talk about the new information that is being posted by the State Department of Education and put that in some historical context. We're then going to talk about what that means for school districts as they react to the changing budgets that they have now and maybe a little bit about what's happened in the past. And we're going to conclude by looking at some data on how what that means for Kansas taxpayers and the rest of the Kansas budget. So Doug, you interrupt me whenever you need to, but I want to kind of just start at the outset, kind of bringing up some information here about Kansas school district expenditures in the long term. Now, what we're going to be hearing is that the newest information, the final budget numbers from last year, the 2017-2018 school year, is going to show that Kansas reached an all-time high in total expenditures and what we think of as school district operating expenditures. And we can see, and those of you watching this on the video can see this slide, but the blue line represents total expenditures. The dotted line shows it not adjusted for inflation, and you can see how that's moved up. But if you adjust that for inflation and look at the solid blue line, you can see that even with the $400 million increase in funding that districts received last year, we're still actually below the high-level mark uh, in 2009, which is really where the funding cuts began. The other thing we look at, and this is a, a different source of information provided, is we just look at general fund of school districts, local option budgets, and special education state aid, because that really forms the operating budget that school districts have. Uh, as you can see by looking at this here, too, that went up about $200 million uh, last year over the previous year, but it's still fairly short of where we were in 2009. In fact, it would even be back several years uh, before that. That's one bit of information. I, I think it's important to note, if you look at this, that you can kind of uh, kind of look at school funding in a couple different periods. Really, from about 1990 to 2004, 2005, we saw some fairly gradual increases, even compared to inflation. We saw a pretty big spike after the Montoy decision, when districts had a lot of funding. And then you can see from 2009 till this year, really a, a sort of a slow loss of revenue compared to inflation on both of these. Now, Doug, we want to talk about that, but I want to show one more uh, chart to people, just a, a little different connection, and that is if we put this in the per pupil, it doesn't look a lot different, uh, but simply because enrollment has grown over this period of time, uh, you can see that we, we actually, uh, uh, the, the, the growth was a little bit stronger, and then the loss has been a little bit more before that. So, as you've been out talking to people, what has been kind of your just sense of how our school leaders are responding to what they got this year and a little bit of what they experienced over the last years? Well, Mark, that, that is a great question. Uh, this is this is my 12th year working with school boards and, and uh, superintendents related to the budget process. And initially, there, there were some dollars that, that, that they had planned to utilize to really improve their student academics. And in those days, we... we 
it was it was really about student achievement. Uh, and then when and then obviously we went through the the, the budget shortfalls at the state level and at the federal level which came back and, and, and directly impacted what boards were trying to do. So I would say for the last six years, uh, there, there's been boards who, who have never really had additional resources or resources that they felt they could, could do above and beyond. And, and, and I, I think that kind of brought to them the idea that we wish we could do more, uh, but we're, we're going to do the best we can with what we have. So we kind of accepted that mindset, uh, always with with a, a desire to, at some point down the road, uh, we're going to be able to do some things we've not done before, or even in, to some degree some things we used to do that we had to, to put aside uh, because we just didn't have enough resources for that. So we spend a lot of our time with, with, with boards and, and school leaders really not talking so much about the dollars and cents. Uh, the numbers are critical. But what we really try to spend time on is, is teaching boards about h- how do we utilize those resources. And, and the first slide that I have is a slide that everyone has probably seen. Is, is Randy made the, whoop, the tour sorry. around the around the state. One of the things that they did was they asked Kansans, what do you want for your... For Randy, your, the Dr. Watson. Yes. I, I apologize for that. To, to me, he's... he's a, a lot of us is just Randy, but for right, some of but, our but viewers for, or listeners. For this video, he, sh- he certainly should be Dr. Watson. Uh, as he toured the state and, he, and they asked Kansans, what is it that you want from, from, from our students? They really gave us a lot of good insights. Uh, what we do when we go to visit boards is we really say, what do you want for your students? We narrow it down to, to each district and let them focus on what's really important to them. It creates some great conversations and it it lets us talk about the dollars that we need to use more in the form of of a resource. It it helps us create the why. Why do you want to do this? Uh, How do we create the student success, which is really the term you hear, hear more and more, to truly give our chance for our students to walk across that stage ready for whatever the steps are they're, they're going to take next. So so when we spend time with boards planning, we, we don't spend time on their budget. We spend time talking to boards, helping them plan, what do you want to do for your kids? Uh, so the, the, the slide that we use really goes back to some research, uh, and it, it comes from McCrell, and it, it's called What Matters Most, and I think it would be on this, this next slide uh, if we can bring that up, and, and I'll walk you through it. Uh, there are five components of uh, what matters most, and, and, and the one that's right in the heart is what, what's referred to as, as guaranteed, challenging, and intentional instructions. instruction. We all know if we're going to impact student learning, if we're going to really make a difference for each child, we're going to have to build relationships, we're going to have to provide, provide people that can connect to kids, can keep them engaged, and help them really get focused on what they want to do as, as they move on into adulthood, to become uh, those citizens that we all desire from kids. So it really begins with, with, with having great teachers, great administrators in each district, really working for kids' success. And, and a lot of that, the resources really that, that, that it takes, that's where the money goes. It goes to our people. So how do we find a way to, to best utilize those resources to then help help this, help really recruit and retain? Uh, and then we, we often call it retrain, that, that professional development to help people grow as they, as they need to help kids improve. 
Uh, the second area we talk about is called curricular pathways. And really, you hear that about Career Cruiser. You hear about the ICTE. There's a lot of different programs out there that are really getting kids ready for that next step. Uh, the individual plans of study that we've implemented is something that directs, connects directly to that. So, so we know that's going to make a difference as well. It doesn't do any good for us to teach the way we used to teach because, in reality, there's a whole different set of, of demands on all on our successful graduates now than there ever were in the past. That third area there is called whole child supports for, for students. Uh, there, there, are, there are kids that come to us with a, with a wide range of abilities, and our job is to make sure we meet the needs of all of those children. And so as we spend time talking about that, a lot of our resources are going to be directed towards that. How do we help c- catch our kids up as they enter this preschool? We hear, we hear constantly about kindergarten readiness. Are our kids ready to, to hit the ground running when they move? Uh, are we, are we able, able to meet the needs with a, a wide variety? of programs, the, the traditional, the, the AP courses for advanced kids, the, the idea that we're going to get kids ready for college or a career. And, and I think there's a great movement now towards getting kids ready for any career they choose. So what type of programs do we have that would, would better meet the needs? If you've heard Dr. Watson speak recently, you'd, you'd hear him talking about all the opportunities that exist in Kansas where there are pathways for, for children to be successful. Well, what are we going to do with that whole child to make sure that they all get those those needs met. I also think that this this movement towards our social and emotional wellness is going to is going to take a lot of resources, but I'm not so sure that that's not some of the money that we're going to spend in the most effective way if we can find a way to connect to kids. The the fourth area kind of goes back to the idea of building the right culture. Uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because a culture is going to be be critical. Uh, we, we constantly talk about the, the, with the right culture, anything can be accomplished. But we know uh, when, when, when you don't have the right culture focused on the right things, uh, districts are, are going to struggle. That last area is talking about using, using high reliability data. And, and what that really does for a board is they focus on the futures. What, what does our data tell us? What are the gaps between where our kids are and where our kids need to be or where we think our kids should be striving for? And the, the data then really helps you focus on how do we use those resources to make the, make those things happen. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, you've heard many times that we have enough money to do anything we want in a school district, but we don't have enough money to do everything we want. And we have to find a way to connect that. So the four components that, that, that were on the left in that slide really talk about what do we need for to, to help improve our student achievement level, our student success level, what type of educational programs exist, uh, how are we going to connect that to the, to the needs of our personnel and our personnel actually impacting the student learning. And then, of course, the last one, and, and it's, it's a huge budget item, is, is the physical plant. What, what does it need within our operations to help meet the needs of our kids. Putting kids in, in, a, in a facility to try to teach them uh, robotics, and, and, and oh, by the way, it's the same room we, we teach language arts, and oh, by the way, we're going to be using it for a science class later in the afternoon. Th- those facilities just won't meet the needs of our kids. So it, it takes a lot of, a lot of resources to, to truly make a difference related to the, the needs of kids. Well, that's a great discussion of how the budget relates to the needs of kids. Rob, if you could bring back up the, the slide before Doug's two slides. I, I want to talk a little bit about how this kind of fits in back the other way. I'm sorry. Uh, 
yeah, either one of those will be just fine. There's a couple things, uh, listening to what you said, that I think is kind of striking about the historical data to think about here. And I think this is something that people need to be kind of aware of as they're having conversations with candidates and, and legislators and, and members of their own public. Uh, one of the things that sometimes kind of comes out as this sort of gotcha moment is to say, well, well, wait a minute. I mean, education funding has, has usually gone up more than inflation. And I think just going back to 1990, from 1990 to, to 2009, that's true. If you look at even the solid line charts, it does show some improvement. But I think it's important to understand that through this period of time, even then, districts were trying to do many of the things you said. How do we reach kids that weren't successful by bringing additional resources to bear? And so the sense is if we're going to help more kids be successful, then we have to put in additional programs, new programs. So we're adding early childhood, we're adding all-day kindergarten, we're adding dropout recovery programs, and all of those things are part of that graph which shows more than inflation. Well, it's because we're trying to do more than we were and there's an extra cost. Go ahead. And, and, and that's a great insight, Mark. One of the dilemmas for, for many years in any educational setting, we just just did a really good job with the easy kids, the kids that were easy to, easy to teach. Uh, but over time, we've evolved to the idea that uh, it's not just about teaching the easy kids. It's about teaching all kids. And, and that's why it requires more resources. It takes more people to meet the needs of more kids. Uh, we have more kids than we once had. Uh, we, we really have taken a great deal of pride in, in having a, a great student-teacher ratio. We think that makes a big difference in impacting the success of students. Uh, and and, and I, I think the idea that we can just teach what we used to teach and they'll be fine, that, that day came and went a long time ago. Uh, I, I often tell the story. My, my dad attended a one-room schoolhouse, and and, and uh, he he had all he needed in his K through eight experiences. But my dad was my dad my dad was it grew up in the fifties. The fifties is not where we live anymore. We we uh, we're in an age in which uh, there's there's well. In 1965, the idea that we could even go to the moon was was an unbelievable thought. Uh, how how do we find a way to do that now? Now we're spending time talking about taking our students on that ride with our Apollo, Mercury, and Gemini programs that that we're doing through KSDE. So it, it, it's just changed, and, and we have to realize that if we're going to meet the needs of our kids, education has to change along with it. You mentioned uh, uh, 1965, 1966, and that's another thing I think. It's important to understand about about the data we're looking at, and that is the fact. Uh, I always remember when I learned when I came to work here that I think it was 1966 was the first year in which a majority of Americans had a high school diploma. Today, it's almost 90 percent, and I think it's important to understand when people sometimes raise the question: You're spending more on education. What are you really getting? Things aren't any better. Uh, our, our outcomes are unacceptable. Always remember this, a higher percentage of kids now graduate from high school than ever before, a higher percentage of students go to college, whether it's technical school through academic programs than ever before, some and, post-secondary. A, and a, some post-secondary, and a higher percentage of, of students, of young people, of Kansans, 
millions of Americans, complete post-secondary than ever before. So if you're asking, was that investment that we were making over the decades, and we've shown you from the 90s to 2009, was that was that working? Was it effective? Did it accomplish something? Well, if you look at educational outcomes, absolutely, we, we were at a higher level than ever before. Um, but what has happened in roughly the last nine years is that has plateaued, it's leveled off, we were falling back behind. And I think the key thing to help understand is the legislature did respond largely to what the courts were asking for and did provide a substantial increase in funding. But even that increase in funding that we received last year has not got us back even to where we were the same level a decade ago. And that is one reason that the Kansas Supreme Court has continued to say, the legislature, you're almost there, but the plan that would, the legislature's own plan to kind of get us back caught up with inflation, uh, you're still not there yet. And so are we at an all-time level in terms of absolute dollars? Yes. Are we at an all-time high for adjusted for purchasing power? No, we're not. Are we where we need to be if we're going to continue to get even more students successful? That becomes the question. Yeah, and I would agree 100% with that. And simply because when the resources initially went away, we didn't immediately stumble in what we were doing academically or for student success. But over time, it, it catches up. Uh, and, and as it did, as our resources dwindled, our programs, some of them disappeared, some of them went away. Uh, the idea that we were going to be able to, to continue to hire the people we needed to make that difference, that became a struggle. Uh, and so suddenly, you can't expect, well, now, now we have some additional resources. We'll, we'll have it turned around by tomorrow. It will take longer than that. Uh, we're just getting ready to see what impact that the, the new dollars can actually have over time. And I, I think I think the state board and, and and Dr. Watson have really put together some true fundamentals that will make a difference. We've talked about a few of them. The, the getting kids ready for kindergarten will make a big difference. Uh, the individual plans of studies, letting kids focus on what they think right. will really make a difference, and engaging the parents in that process so that the students just goes to the building and says, well, I don't like to do, well, what, what do you like to do and what programs can we align you that align you with that would really make a difference? I think, I think the idea of improving graduation rates and, and, and making sure everyone walks across that stage with something that will help them down the road. And then the post-secondary analysis that, that, that I know at this time that's new and different to us, but what we know is for our kids to really be ready to have a chance to succeed uh, in, our, in our current world, they're going have to have a higher level of education. Uh, it's just that simple. They're going to have to achieve at a higher level. You're going to have to have a broader base of understanding if they're going to, going to be able to, to tr- truly, make, truly make a difference. Rob, if you can bring that same slide up one more time before we leave this, so there's a couple of other things that I think are, are, are worth looking at in terms of the, this history. And that is the fact that if you look closely, you can see that, that that blue line of total expenditures and the red line, which again is the, the for the school districts, for our school people out there, your general fund, local option budget, and special education. Well, you can see th- those lines are, are, are growing farther apart, and the total expenditures line is growing more. And there's a couple things I think to think about. So what is the difference between those two? What's what's included in the total expenditure line that's not included in what we might think of as the operating line? And there's a couple things you talked about. One is any kind of capital cost. So the cost of new school buildings, the cost of safer school buildings, the cost of school buildings that are tornado hardened and intruder hardened and wired for technology and have better CTE labs, 
all of those things are included in total expenditures that districts have been able to do with bond issues and capital outlay and things like that, but not part of general operations. And the school district can't shift money uh, to do that. The second thing that is in that line uh, that I think is, is something we don't think about, and that's food service, uh, because because really that's funded by, by federal lunch aid and student fees. There's a little bit of general fund money. And as we know, part of the reason that that has widened is something as simple as adding school breakfast programs as a mandate, and then more kids eating at school, more expensive and nutritious meals. So why are school district costs going up? Well, partly it's operating something that, again, is not an educational program per se, but helps meet that student and community need that you were talking about. The needs needs of, of Kansas kids... Uh, we, we always think well, we're, we're very fortunate because we live in a, in a great state, a great place to raise families, uh, to raise kids. But we still have high needs as well uh, in, in, our, in our, our range of, of, of prosperity versus people who are struggling. It's very real. Uh, and this, this social and, emo- and emotional wellness piece, finding a way to meet the, meet the needs of our kids beyond just just be beyond academics right. is a big deal, and, and it will make a big difference for our kids. Uh, when a student can come to school, feel nurtured, feel, feel, feel valued, and probably more importantly, be able to engage in, in, in lasting learning relationships, uh, we, the, the, old, the old idea that, that lifelong learners, we, we can start turning those students out. Uh, and they can be successful after they walk across that stage. But we're going to have to make the environment about building, building relationships and engaging kids in beyond just numbers uh, or just letters. And uh, there's an academic side, but there's also a, there's a social emotional side that, that we have to meet with if we're going to help these kids be successful. And the final big difference between those two that helped explain some of that growing gap uh, is the fact that, that, that the blue line includes capability. Funding. Oh, yeah. And part of the reason that that blue line is growing faster than, than the operating budget line is because the legislature is trying to make up for past underfunding. Right. Now, some years they've actually cut it back a little bit. So it's not, it's not an absolutely linear situation. But the amount of money that's going into the CAPER system now is much higher than it was 10, 20, 25 years ago. In fact, that blue line should have been higher in the 90s if the legislature was was funding capers where it should be. And if they were doing that, they wouldn't have to be spending so much right now. So some of that additional increase is catching up for pass underfunding. Uh, I want to wrap up within kind of two other bits of information. That's to kind of look at, so what is this change in funding? And in particular, the funding that, that uh, is going to schools in the last year, what impact is that having on Kansans as a whole? and the rest of the state budget. So first I want to talk for a moment about how school funding compares uh, to personal income. Rob, if you can bring that up for me. Thank you. What this does, and this is a little bit of a, of a, of a complicated uh, formula, but uh, Kansas personal income is an economic statistic that looks at the total amount of income of Kansas residents from all sources. And what this uh, chart here shows is how 
the total spending on schools in the blue line and the general fund LOB special ed in the red line, what percent that is of personal income. A way of thinking about this is to simply say kind of what is the tax burden, if you will, or what is the cost of our, how much are we spending to educate our kids in our public schools? From 1990 to, to uh, basically 2010, um, we, we averaged about 4.66% of all state income was going to school district expenditures from all sources. Uh, that started dropping in about 2009. It has dropped below 4.5%. The last amount of money added brought that back a little bit. But even with that $400 million, we are still well below the, the kind of historical average of the last few uh, decades. Uh, it's been even truer if you look at operating budgets because, once again, as more funding has kind of moved into that non-operating area for buildings, we've seen an even bigger drop compared to personal income. The point of this is to simply say what we're spending to educate our kids now as a share of our income is still, even with this increase, lower than the historical commitment that um, past generations have made uh, to educate kids. Yeah, and, and the, the idea that, that we view education as an expense versus an investment, that, that's, 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 that's a mistake we have to overcome. Uh, the money we're spending currently to support academic success, student success in Kansas, is, is really, we're spending, you use the term commitment, we're, we're committing less of our resources towards that now as each individual citizen than we have in the past. So I, I think we need to view that educational resources as an investment because I think in the end, uh, I think we'll all be rewarded for it. Certainly our children and grandchildren will, will, will reap those benefits. So that has to be part of our focus as well. That's the legacy uh, right. that, we, that we work on as, as you, as you as you try to move from generation to generation, what's that legacy going to be? Point is, when people talk about, you know, our, our what we're spending on schools is just too much, I can't afford it anymore, I just think it's important, while certainly this varies from individual taxpayer to individual taxpayer, in general, our state's commitment to K-12 education remains below where it has been in terms of what people in the past have been willing, the people of Kansas in the past have been willing to invest. And, and we oftentimes compare the, the dollar dollars themselves to the difference in the amounts. But if you look at it related to the relative income that right. we've had, that, that's where a lot of the confusion lies. And, and to a large extent, uh, education is something that, if you think about it, has a way of paying for itself. As people are better, better educated, the one thing we know, the higher level of education you reach, the greater your income is going to be. The better educated we are as a state, the higher our state personal income will be. And the question is, are we going to use some of that increase as incomes rise to continue to invest to try to keep those results uh, moving up? The last thing we want to share is some information about how K-12 uh, funding uh, compares to the rest of the state general fund budget. And this, again, is something we often get a lot of concerns. More, you know, K-12 education is taking more and more of the budget. It's squeezing out other important state programs. But what we wanted to do is simply look at out of the general fund budget, which is the main state budget, if you want to think of it that way, it's comparable to a school district general fund budget, how much of that is going to K-12 education? Uh, we've got data on this going back to 1975. From 1975 to basically about 1993, the, the 
what to me was the old school finance formula. It's now a couple of generations, but it was something called the School District Equalization Act. And during that whole period of time, basically 1975, almost 20 years, Every year, almost exactly 40% of the state general fund budget went to K-12 state aid. But at that time, in Kansas, a majority of funding was local, not state. It was local property tax. Local property tax. It made up that gap. And, And in the early 90s, the big concern was not somewhat over the level of education funding, but the real concern was how much was coming from property taxes and inequities of that tax burden. And so to equalize that, uh, the result of a court case, although it never went to the Supreme Court, the Kansas legislature changed the philosophy, said a majority of funding is going to come from the state, roll back property taxes in many cases, and in 1994, Almost, ex- we went from having about 40% of the state general fund to 50% of the state general fund. And what's to me rather remarkable is that if you then look from about 1994 all the way to next year's anticipated budget, K 12 funding has never varied much from about 49% to 51%, and that's really where we are now. So, in fact, although K 12 funding has gone up, Uh, Although there have been court cases, although the legislature has had to respond, all those things you hear, the share of our budget, that that half the general fund, and some people have said, you know, we just can't sustain half of our general fund going to K-12 education. Well, in fact, that was the plan in the early 90s, and we have stayed with that plan over this entire period of time. And even the additional funding added the last couple years, the legislature has also increased funding for other parts of the general fund budget. So, in fact, the other parts of the budget have also received increases uh, at, at roughly the same rate as K-12 education. Yeah, I, I think I think the legislators probably have the same conversation at the, at the state level as, as what local school board members do. What do we want? What do we want for Kansans? Uh, school board members talk about what do they want for kids. The, the good thing is we talked earlier. Uh, there, there was a time when we were taking the resources and, and trying to utilize them. We lost some of them. We made through, made a lot of cuts. We we'll worked through a lot of challenges. Interestingly, recently, and, and I'd say in the last three to four years, we, we have school board members who've come in truly with a desire because they didn't they didn't suffer the cuts. They had never had the resources. I, I think their view of it is they're excited to make a difference for kids. Uh, I, I, it is so much fun to watch a board work a process when they talk about what we want. What do we want to do to help our kids? Uh, and, and then and then find a way to align the resources to do that. Uh, it, it's uh, it makes a huge impact on the on the students. And it makes a huge impact on the different on the district uh, when when they're truly focused on on meeting the needs of each child. And it's fun to watch that happen. Well, Dr. Mucker, thank you for this conversation. We want to thank our viewers, uh, as always. Um, We would invite you, encourage you, that if you have further questions about this information or any other issues, uh, go ahead and ask KASB, send us this information. The uh, data that I've shared, uh, these wonderful charts and such, are available uh, at my blog. The the Tallman Tallman Education Report is the easiest way to find it. We'll also be continuing to share this information through our news briefs and social media. 
If you do have follow-up questions, you can email them directly to me at mtallman at ksb.org, and you can follow me, and I assume there's ways you can get me questions uh, through Twitter and Facebook. Uh, of course, Dr. Meckel is a huge social media person as well, uh, particularly on the Twitter, uh, and so you can also reach him, and he'll get those questions to me every day. Final actually, thoughts, Dr. Well, Meckel. actually, actually, I'm just huge, is what people would say, but uh, <laughs> it's always good to be flattered uh, by you, and uh, it, it was it was interesting. I, I thought was it's just going to be like working with Letterman, uh, but actually you're much better than, than Letterman. So I, I well, you know he's he's not doing it anymore, is he? So well, that uh, may be why you're yeah. That better, that may so. be actually the case. And I have to thank uh, Rob Gilligan for our engineering production, keeping our slides straight, and all of that. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back with more information soon.